0: It's getting good in here, starting to get some feedback, um, not all good, <laughs> but that's okay because this is, this is what we do here, we dig in, so it's getting good. And last week, we took, sort of a, we took a little ride through Sheol, discussed the Old Testament Sheol, and remember, I'm saying Old and New Testament. It's not the preferred nomenclature, but I'm using it because it's easy. It's the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, and the Apostolic Scriptures. That's the New, but that's just a lot of syllables. All right? So we discussed very clearly, based on Old Testament theology and understanding, that souls, after death, would go where? Sheol. But we also talked about an important or a significant departure of thought from the way the Old Testament talked about Sheol. As we began to see that it was simply the grave or the abode of the dead, but we saw an emergence of a new thought. And that thought was, by those who were being persecuted and seeing bad things happen, the thought was, there must be more. It can't just be good drifting down into some shadowy existence forever, unhappy, dark shadows and shades. There must be more. There's got to be reward in the afterlife. When is the afterlife? It's immediately. It's afterlife. <laughs> it's, it starts pretty quickly. And when you die, like right after you die according to this widely held belief in the second temple period, which is Yeshua's period. That's the time when he was alive and working in the temple and teaching. According to that, there is a lot going on when your body dies. Okay. First and foremost, what's the, what's the tip-top most important consideration? There is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. It is the fundamental belief in Jewish thought. If you don't believe in the resurrection, the, Sagitt- the Pharisees said, you're going to hell. <laughs> okay, that's how strongly they felt about this. There will be a resurrection. We pray it every day. Uh, we say it today on show, every day. Michaye Hametim, who restores life to the dead. Okay, so that, that, that's something. But before the resurrection, before the resurrection, and there are a lot of different thoughts on this, and some feedback I've gotten is related to that, and it's all good. But something is happening until the resurrection. According to Josephus, Jewish historian, Pharisee, very well-respected in the book, The Antiquities of the Jews, here's what Josephus says about the Pharisees and the belief. They, the Pharisees, also believe that souls have an immortal rigor in them and that under the earth there will be rewards and punishments according as they have lived virtuously or viciously in this life and the latter are to be detained in an everlasting prison but the former shall have power to revive and live again. That's an interesting consideration. That says right there that there's not a universal resurrection. That we begin right there to see something else emerging, which is called torment. We haven't really gotten to any of that yet. We haven't seen too much of that yet. But there is this idea here, Josephus says, that the righteous will resurrect, the unrighteous will not. They will stay. And what will be happening? It won't be fun. Now, these ideas actually, even though we don't find them very clearly in the, in the Old Testament, they come before the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't make this up. First Enoch, a book I've referenced, Maccabees, Daniel, several books and ideas show this emerging thought about reward, punishment, afterlife, and even we begin to see some idea of torment. Torment. Now, according to the Pharisees, where will this reward and punishment be doled out? Where will this take place? Well, where does the Torah say it will take place? Where does the Tanakh say it will take place? The prophets? In Sheol. In Sheol. I mean, that's what the Bible says, but reward and punishment? Reward in Sheol? We we didn't really see a lot of that that sounds different than what the Old Testament says about that. And that is actually true. It sounds different that there's reward and punishment in Sheol because it is different. It is a different stream of thought than what we have looked at so far, okay? But that's where we're headed today. And it will help us, actually, in something really important, That we concluded last week with Luke 22, he said to him, truly, I say to you, and we talked about the comma, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise or some subscribe to truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. But there's an interesting thing that happens before that. It's when the when the criminal next to Yeshua says, take me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, he's looking forward to the time when Yeshua is going to resurrect and do something down the road. To do what? To establish the Messianic kingdom in Israel. And he says, remember me, let me come in. And Yeshua says, today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But uh, the, the difficulty we asked last week is, Yeshua went to Sheol. How can he say that? And how can he say, wherever Yeshua goes, that's Yeshua, fine. But how can he say that to him? If you're going to Sheol and it's paradise. Well, we look at some more Pharisaic thought, which tells us that Sheol is one destination with two potential places. And we get to hear a word now that Yeshua uses several times. Gehenna in Greek, Gehinom in Hebrew, Gehenna or Pardes, paradise, Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden it's sometimes called. Even sometimes called heaven as these afterlife destinations. And this provides really one of the most important parts of our discussion thus far. Everything I've done up to this point, death in Abraham's time, in David's time, in Moses' time, it's a lot, right? But it's for context, it's for historical development. Now we arrive in a critical period because here's what I mean by this. It doesn't really matter what you believe to me. Nothing that I'm doing here is to try to convince you of something or make you believe something. So it doesn't matter to me right now what you believe, whether it's in immortal souls, if it's going to heaven to float on clouds, if it's soul sleep, if it's whatever it is. Because what we're going to talk about is what they believed in the second temple period. This isn't opinion, And it's not asking you to agree. It's simply saying, this is what they wrote, said, and believed. Now, somebody had a conversation with me this week, and I want to make just this one little aside. I said, how are you enjoying this, something about learning about heaven and hell? They said, well, we've lost so many people. We've lost a lot of loved ones. And so this is a little challenging. It's, It's difficult. Like, we have a perspective on what that means, where they are, all that. I get that. I really do. Everyone has an idea of life after death and what's happening and where your people are. It's okay. Take comfort. I'm not trying to take your dreams away. I'm not trying to take anything away from you. I just want you to focus on really the history of it, the reality of it. We talked about Sheol in the Old Testament sense. Now we move into the New Testament sense. As interpreted from the biblical text, yes, And from the developing thought, which I've told you many times and have already mentioned, that there had to be more. There had to be more reward and punishment. A Pharisaic Sheol is not just hell. It's not just hell. Gehinnom is in Sheol. But according to many considerations in these writings, so is paradise, which I just told you. Okay, so that that cat's out of the bag. Sheol was considered to have levels, compartments, levels, and at the bottom of Sheol, Gehenna. As Daniel Lancaster once said, it's like the cellar they used to heat the place. <laughs> Gehinom. Let me introduce the book of Enoch to you, which I've referenced already. I've said it. It's a very, very important book. It's in Jude. Jude has sections of the book of first Enoch quoted. Yeshua and the apostles were familiar with Enoch. It's absolutely represented in the early church. Fathers' fragments are found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is not some crazy you know, found this under a rock in, you know, the Bronx or something, and now it's a biblical manuscript. This is, this is serious stuff. Chapter 22, Enoch, and it's not really Enoch. It's called pseudepigrapha. You know that word? It's written by someone who wants you to think it's Enoch saying it, but it was written way later, in the third or fourth century, probably BCE, before Messiah chapter 22, in one of his tours, Enoch gets a, he gets a tour of Sheol. He gets to go and see this. And from here, and from there he says, in chapter 22, I went to another place and he showed me in the west a large and high mountain and a hard rock and four beautiful places. Inside, was deep, wide, and very smooth. How smooth is that which rolls and deep and dark to look at? So he's describing looking in Sheol and seeing compartments there. Then Raphael, one of the holy angels who was with me, answered me and said to me, These beautiful places are there so that the spirits, the souls of the dead, might be gathered into them. For them they were created, so that here they might gather the souls of the sons of men. And these places they made where they will keep them until the day of judgment, until their appointed time. Chambers, separate spaces for the dead, four actually, one for the righteous, three for the wicked, depending on how wicked you were and what you did and all kinds of other things like that. Continuing, likewise, a place has been created for sinners when they die and are buried in the earth. So there we begin to see something different, a compartmentalized Sheol. Now this is apocryphal writing, as I said. It's not the biblical text, but we've already established that it is pretty well respected. Reward and punishment, even eternal torment we see. I need to clarify this really important thing, and I know I'm saying a lot of words and probably moving really fast. It's recorded if you have questions. Go back. This all moves into a category that we must describe as Jewish mythology. Now, when you hear that word, you're like... Ooh, like Zeus and Medusa? Well, that is mythology, but the, the technical definition, a traditional story, especially concerning the early history of a people or explaining some natural or social phenomenon and typically involving supernatural beings or events. In other words, we cannot, for basically anything I'm saying, concretely identify it as fact. Which makes it um, developed through this mythological lens. We can, however, as I've said multiple times, understand that this way of thinking was present in the apostolic era, whether you agree with it or not. Okay, made that point very clear. Inchiol is the bottom is called what Gehinnom, or let's go with let's go with the Greek. Okay, It's all Greek to me. Gehenna. Gehenna is the place you don't want to be. It's the place of torment. And interestingly, even in the Torah, we do find a little reference to this, not by name, but listen to what Deuteronomy 32 says, for a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol. This is Deuteronomy 32. And from others, Psalm 86, for your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, the lowest Sheol. Proverbs 7, her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Down, down, down. Now, the the rabbis and the sages are not making this up. You'd be hard-pressed to find anything in rabbinic literature where they went Looks good. Let's write that down. In other words, they took it out of their hats. It's drawn from the biblical, biblical text. Where did this come from? How did Gehenna get its reputation? Well, have you ever heard of Gehenna in the Bible? Gehenna is a physical, literal place. It is a valley. That's what Gehinom means. It's in Jerusalem. Part of it, if you follow it long enough, it runs, I think, into the Kidron Valley. But it is a real place, and I think I mentioned this last week, where real bad things happened. Real bad things. Like Israel sacrificing their children to Molech. And all kinds of idolatry and disgusting, gross things. Child sacrifice. Jeremiah predicted in Jeremiah 7 that, that Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom, would be covered with, filled with the corpses of Israel when they were judged. It's Jeremiah 7. We learn from Josephus that it was in this valley that all of the corpses of Jews were thrown after the Roman siege of Jerusalem in seventy. It's a bad place, but Gehenna assumed in our period, or what we'll call the intertestamental period, right? From Malachi to to the Gospels, intertestamental period, it assumed this other eschatological end times reputation, and the rabbis took it from there. But long before Yeshua, the place meant disgust. It meant corruption. It meant death. It meant decay. Now, keep in mind, that's what it meant to Yeshua's audience. They knew it as both a physical and literal place where bad things happen and an eschatological uh, term, a destination. So think of it like this word association it's a tragic example which I almost hesitated to use but if I say the word Columbine to you Columbine's a real place it's a school but what is it really it's a horrendous place where horrible things happened, and that's what it's known for this is an example of Gehenna and the word association in the mind of the first century so let's look a little at Gehenna because it's obviously sort of important. Now, we're moving past the literal Valley in Jerusalem into the medical, physical, metaphysical location. Generally, as we said last week, it is down. Right? When you die, you go down. The Pharisees believe that the souls have an immortal rigor and they go down in the earth, either the reward or punishment. So it's considered down. But interestingly, and you're going you're to be very frustrated with me by the end when I keep telling you there's no uniform opinion on this, so I can't say that this is absolute. They disagree on this. There's one opinion here. One says Gehenna uh, burns at the left hand of God. Another one says it's in the east. Another says it's in the west. These are all the rabbinic writings. Some say Gehenna is above the firmament. Some say it's in the mountains of darkness. Where are they? Well, they talk about that, but we won't get into it. But generally assumed, Gehenna is in the lowest depths of Sheol, and it is where we get hell. That's the term that hell means, Gehenna. What is it? Well, in Talmud, Pesachim 54a, we read, it's very ancient. Seven phenomena were created before the world was created, and they are Torah, repentance, the Garden of Eden, Gehenna, the throne of glory, and the temple, and the name of Messiah. These are the things that predate creation. So you might think God had this plan for a while. I don't know. It's, you know, it could be. Enoch reminds us, there are some, well, there are other names also. Abaddon, you read that name rarely in the scriptures, but it's there. Abaddon, shadow of death, miry clay, horrible pit. And just to make it confusing for you, one of the things, one of the Talmudic references says, Gehenna has seven names, the first of which is Sheol. So, you know, it's like I say, It can get a little deep and confusing in here. No pun intended. Deep in there. Get it? How does it work? How does Gehenna work? Well, first off, we have to assume from what we read and hear that there is some consciousness on a level. Remember, it is not life. You cannot be be a life without body and soul. And there is not the idea that the body goes to Gehenna with the soul. So, we're having soul talk here. The soul is, 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 in this construct, aware of former life and some form of existence. Gehenna is a place of punishment. It is the destination for the wicked and the unrighteous. Okay? Obvious. It's fire. It's a unique and supernatural fire, though. Ordinary fire is one-sixtieth of the fire of Gehenna, it says in the sources, in the, in the um, Talmud. It's also brimstone. Why, the Talmud asks, does a man shrink? It's Genesis Rabbah, it's not Talmud. Why does a man's soul shrink from the odor of brimstone? Because it knows it will be judged therein in the hereafter. These are terms used to describe Gehenna in Jewish literature. Fire, hail, snow, ice, brimstone, and always darkness. Always darkness. The wicked are darkness. Gehenna is darkness. The depths are darkness. I lead the wicked to Gehenom and cover them with the depths. It is a place of punishment, but hang tight also a place of purgation. Potentially a temporary place of purgation by the Jewish literature. Now, all of a sudden, everybody freaked out. That's Catholic, the Catholics, they go, oh my gosh, we're getting into purgatory, it's the Roman Catholics in the synagogue. The Catholics came up with very little. They just took something Jewish and turned it into something else. That's not a slam. That's just how it worked. Purgatory is is different, but it's sort of weaved from similar thread. But lest this be dismissed as some type of Jewish absurdity and satanic consideration or wishful thinking, add to the list of purifying in hell as an idea, purification and purgation, add to that list origin. Origin was an absolute church father. It wasn't until the fifth council, I think, of Constantinople that origin was dismissed as a heretic for having that way of thinking. So think about how far into it we are before they said, nope, that's wrong. Clement of Alexandria also looked at this as a a possibility. Origen didn't say, This is it, it's it's purgatory, it's purgatory. But he he entertained the thought. Gregory of Nyssa, also quite a pillar, a saint across many number of, of traditions Catholic, I think, Lutheran, Episcopal. Does Lutheran have saints? I don't know. But anyway, This guy was a pretty good guy. He was a contributor to the Nicene Creed and all kinds of things. He absolutely felt that this was what hell did. We're going to talk a lot more about that eventually, not today. But Judaism got there first, long before any of these people were even alive. Rabbi Akiva well, which he's actually writing when at least origins alive. The punishment of the wicked, Rabbi Akiva says, in Gehenna is for 12 months. All who descend to Gehinom will ascend, except he who has intercourse with another man's wife, he who puts his fellow to shame in public, or he who calls his fellow by an opprobrious nickname. Opprobrious, that means bad. Now, listen to that. That's interesting. That is one of the reasons, it says, why you'll descend to Gehenna, which should bring to mind something the master said. Yeshua, remember when he said, don't call your brother good for nothing. I'll read it to you because it's really interesting to think about that. When I tell you these are concurrent thoughts going on, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, you good for nothing, shall be answered to the Sanhedrin, to the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the hell, as the King James says, the Gehenna of fire. Now, that actually gives that a little interesting context, doesn't it? Because I've always been confused. Oh my gosh, I've called a lot of people worse than fool. And this says I'm, I'm, I'm in big trouble. But in a certain sense, considering that gives it a new context. Yeshua is saying, you might not escape some purgation if you use this type of language toward people. I'm not saying that Yeshua thought hell was Temporary or anything like that. We're not even getting into any of those thoughts right now. What I'm saying is he says, if you do this kind of stuff, you might spend some time in Gehenna, player. Another person who does not go to Gehenna, one that suffered immensely in this world, need not suffer in Gehenna because his torment was here. Now think. Forward, where do you go? Where does your mind go? Luke sixteen, Elazar and the rich man. We'll talk about it. Not today. <laughs> Kelly just mouthed my very words. Not today. <laughs> but in terms of the locus classicus the, on the subject is from Hillel and Shammai. Now, remember Hillel and Shammai. Remember when Hillel and Shammai are writing, who's listening, who's around. These are the two prominent schools of thought in the second temple period when Yeshua's around. It is considered that some of the study that Yeshua was engaged with at the temple as a young man, that there may have been Hillel and Shammai speaking or 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 represented there. These guys are absolutely concurrent with the thought of Yeshua. Here's what it says. The school of Shammai declared, there are three classes with respect to the day of judgment, the perfectly righteous, the completely wicked, and the average people. Those in the first class are forthwith inscribed and sealed for eternal life. Those in the second class are forthwith inscribed and sealed for Gehenna. no getting out. As it is said, many of them sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those are the Daniel 12 people. Three categories. The third class, Shemai says, will descend, then ascend. As it is said, I will bring the third part through the fire and I will refine them as silver is refined and I will try them as gold is tried and they shall call on my name and I will hear them. Zechariah. This is Shemaiah talking about the three categories. One go right to paradise. One goes straight to hell and stays there. Another spends some time in Gehenna and comes out. Concerning them, Hannah said, the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down the Sheol and he bringeth up. The school of Hillel, which was a little bit nicer, took it sort of a, 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 in a little more palatable way. He is plenteous mercy. He inclines toward mercy and concerning them, he goes on to say, but the sinners of Israel with their bodies and the sinners of the Gentiles with their bodies descend to Gehenum and are judged there for 12 months. That's what the school of Hillel said. Now, Hillel goes on to say there are also certain people who will not get out. That that he says, Sheol will be destroyed. We know that Sheol will be destroyed. Why is that? Because Revelation says it will. But Hillel agreed. Somehow, we don't really know, those souls that are in eternal torment in Hillel's idea are going to be somewhere. Something bad is going to be happening to them, but they're not going to be in Sheol. But there is a departure, and it's very important that we need to pay attention to. And this has to do with eternal torment, eternal damnation, the word eternal. There is an apostolic theological departure that we must agree to because we are disciples. We see a great deal of synchronicity or synchrony between Pharisaic and Apostolic theology, but here's the quote from Revelation. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person would judge according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Bottom line from what that says right there, you can go back and read it on your own, Revelation 20. There cannot be someone in Shammai's opinion who goes to Hades, Gehenna, and stays there forever. It can't happen. Why? There is a resurrection of all, righteous and unrighteous. Yeshua says it in John 5. Revelation says it. Apostolic theology says, you may go, again, we can't confirm some of the things I'm saying. You may go down there, but you are coming back up. To be resurrected, some to the right, some to the left. And I'm simplifying that a lot. But apostolic theology does not allow for a Entrance into a place of eternal torment when you die, never to get out. Okay? That's something. Everyone gets out. And what happens after that? Well, that's elementary principle six, eternal judgment, which we're not there yet. Stay with me if you can. We're closing here. There's a last bit of important information on Gehenna, Sheol, paradise, afterlife. In Sheol, the depths of the earth, while we can't construct this consistent rabbinic theology, it is established in rabbinic theology that the righteous in some way, whether immediately or after some time in Gehenna, they enter into paradise. And where is paradise? Well, it's in Sheol. Who's in paradise? Well, the righteous, how'd they get there? I have no idea. I'm as confused as, no. Remember Josephus, they, the Pharisees, also believe that souls have an immortal rigor in them and that under the earth there will be rewards or punishments according as they have lived virtuously or viciously in this life. Pardes, the word. Paradise. Heaven. Gan Eden, most commonly. The place of the righteous after death. And there are so many quotes and confusions about heaven and what's going on here. And there's this sort of mishmash idea of things that are happening there that are like the world to come, or maybe they're like the messianic age. I'm not going to get into any of those things right now because they're only going to confuse it worse. But the point is that you go there. The soul rests in the presence of God. Okay? And some other little tidbits that will prove valuable for us. The Talmud says that we are... That you are led there. At a time when a righteous individual departs from the world, three contingents of ministering angels go out toward him. One says to him, enter in peace. That would be cool. An angelic host into paradise. It says it. The New Testament says that too. Did you know it? It does. And there you will wait. Resurrection some suggestions that your righteous deeds on earth provide a garment for you in paradise, that you are receiving some type of reward there in paradise as you're awaiting your resurrection. It's a pleasurable experience according to all opinions. But just as I said, you can't stay in Gehenna No one stays there either. Why? Because they will be resurrected. There is a final resurrection. Where is Sheol in relation to Gehenna? Apparently it's just a stone's throw away. That is drawn from a text in Isaiah 66. And they shall go forth and look on the corpses of those who have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all mankind. They shall go forth and look on the corpses of those who have transgressed against me. They explain that the corpses of those who rebelled referred to the souls of the damned in Gehenna. In those lower chambers of Sheol, the fire was not quenched, the worm did not die. Yeshua talks about this. In the geography of the afterlife, and here's the point that I want you to hear, Gehenna lies just opposite paradise, but a great divide separates them. The souls of the righteous are able to peer across the chasm to see the souls of the wicked, and the souls of the wicked can look longingly upon the souls of the righteous in paradise. Right now, Luke 16 should be just flashing through your mind with the rich man and Elazar. But here's what I want you to hear from Ecclesiastes Rabbah. Be as the onlookers of whom it is written in Isaiah 66, 24. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. Do not be among those who are looked upon of whom it is written for their worms shall not die. Their fire shall not be quenched. they will be an abhorrence to mankind. God has made the one as well as the other. Gehenna and paradise. God has made, it says, that is Gehenna and the Garden of Eden. What is the distance between them? A hand breadth. Rabbi Yochanan said, A wall divides the two. The rabbis say they run parallel so that one is visible to the others. Remember the chambers in 1 Enoch when he looked down and saw the four chambers, one for the righteous, three for the wicked. So, all of that as i say everything i'm doing in this series is building upon itself we're all mo- that's how series work actually they're, they're supposed to do that mine don't always but this is taking us into the very very important section that i've referenced several times the rich man and eleazar in luke 16 because you'll just be simply dumbfounded Conclusion of Sheol stuff, according to Jewish thought, and I promise you this is it. Again, this is what was taught. It doesn't really matter what you believe today. This is what was floating around. We have a soul. It is separated from the body at death. Every soul goes to Sheol. Some to Gehenna, some to Gan Eden, some to reward, some to punishment. These are temporary places, if we believe in the teaching of Yeshua and the apostles, because there will be a universal resurrection. And therefore, I can answer that question for you that I left you with last week. How is it possible for Yeshua to say to the criminal, today you will be with me in paradise if we know that yeshua went to sheol do you understand now that's the answer much more much more on yeshua and the afterlife and the rich man and wonderful eleazar whose name means god has helped shabbat shalom